Well, you may have heard that Olivia Newton-John, the Grammy-winning star who won countless hearts as everyone's favorite Sandy in the film version of Grease, has died at the age of 73. Newton-John's husband announced on social media that the longtime resident of Australia, known for such hits as Physical and You're the One That I Want, Magic, and so forth, died today at her Southern California ranch. The singer revealed in September 2018 that she was treating cancer at the base of her spine. It was her third cancer diagnosis. She'd been a long time advocate uh, for a fight against cancer, including opening uh, a special center in Melbourne where she had grown up. Um, and this was following bouts with breast cancer in the early 90s and in 2017 as well. Of course, for anyone who grew up in the 70s or the early 80s, it's hard not to imagine, it's hard to explain in some ways just how popular Olivia Newton-John was for a bit of a stretch there. Uh, certainly uh, between 73 and 83, she had an incredible run with uh, 14 top 10 singles in the U.S., but really it started with Greece in terms of the, the big fame uh, and then through to physical, of course, uh, which spent uh, many, many weeks at number one. Joining me now with more on this is Eric Alper. He's a publicist and music commentator. Eric, thanks so much for your time tonight. No problem. Thanks so much for having me. Under under weird circumstances, you know, I think when, when the news hit about Olivia passing away, I, mm-hmm. I I don't think I felt this kind of sadness for somebody that I've never met of a pop artist, maybe since George Michael. This was this was really bizarre how a lot of people um, were touched by her, and we shouldn't be surprised. She's certainly one of the biggest pop artists of the last fifty years. Yeah, I mean, she had that run, and you know, her musical talent, at least her voice. I mean, I don't want to use the word pure too too, yeah. too liberally here, but but it was it was pretty pure and distinctive. Yeah, especially because when she got her start as a as a country artist uh, of all things, and you know she was a, a pretty big artist in the 1970s on AM soft rock radio with "Have You Ever Been Mellow" and and uh, and "Please Mr. Please" and, and and a couple of other songs as well. But she won she won awards in the for for the for best female artist at the Country Music Awards, and so um, even before we kind of knew her, or at least a lot of us kind of knew her from Greece and the pop stuff, um, she was already selling millions of records around the world, but to country fans, and which was bizarre coming from somebody who was born in the UK and lived in Australia uh, and landed in America, um, you know, with that success. But obviously, you know, when Greece came along, that was it. It was over. It was pop stardom um, until the day today that she passed away. I mean, that album kept selling and selling and selling and still sells a couple hundred thousand copies to this day, thanks to, you know, kids on TikTok doing their own versions of You're the One That I Want and hopelessly devoted to you whenever they get dumped or become the dumpy. Yeah, it's amazing how well that movie has survived. I remember seeing it in the theaters. I was explaining earlier, I must have been seven or eight, right? So I was quite shocked when when Olivia underwent her metamorphosis halfway, when Sandy changes halfway (laughs) or about three quarters of the way through the movie. I was truly disappointed and had to have it explained to me, like, why would she change her clothes? She looked great before. That's what Um, I said. I, I, you know, and I know, and I get it, right? You know, the the leather-clad smoking Sandy at the end of it. Um, But, you know, I think a lot of people were kind of like what was wrong with the innocent Sandy? What was wrong yeah. with with that at all? And so the fact that that it kind of symbolized what 
Olivia Newton-John was really like, or at least in terms of, of her music, because right after that, you had songs like Twist of Fate, you had songs like Physical, um, and, and other kind of sexually oriented songs that five years before would not have even come across her her repertoire but it seemed like she can go from country to pop to you know a little bit you know nod and winking of of the of the pro sexual 80s and i mean to have a woman sing about physical and and let's get down was so rare in the 80s that it, it almost seems you know pretty quaint but it was a really big deal when that song came out back in 1981 oh, I, re- I remember vividly when that song came out first of all it was banned in some places which if you listen to it yeah. today or even five years later it seemed uh fairly incredible but it was banned in places and it was a monster hit i think was it number one for 10 weeks or 11 weeks in the u.s yeah, the most yeah. and Debbie, all over Debbie much Boone. music and mtv and and uh, uh and she still continued she still continued to record um she still continued to tour around the world and uh you know becoming a, a huge activist for environmental and animal rights causes and unfortunately when she was diagnosed with breast cancer um, you know she took it upon herself to to travel the world and speak at various conferences and with media um, wherever she could about um, the benefits that, that science was offering her um, written uh, you know several books about her triumphs and her tragedies and uh, uh, and was a real spokesperson for kind of you know, getting through this this weird thing called life in one piece. Yeah, that's one of the things. I mean, there's been a lot of movie, a lot of clips, interview clips with her out there today. There's one really good piece that was run in Australia where they obviously had a very uh, close bond to uh, to Olivia Newton-John in Australia. And one of them yeah. was just asking her about, about her journey. And she said, you know, I just grew up wanting to sing and you know, that I've had my ups and my downs. There was obviously some personal tragedies. Um, her boyfriend, I guess, her at the time in the early knots disappeared. Um, on a fishing trip, and there's been some heartbreak, and obviously her 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 uh, her struggles with cancer over time, um, and then it came back, and you know she. But there's something about the way she came across in those interview clips, and I think it's what you're seeing and what you're talking about off the top today in terms of how much outpouring there's been of sympathy for her, or at least of fondness for her, um, that she seems to have been as nice as you think she was. And, and, which is and which is rare. I, I totally agree, and it's weird because pop music is is really designed to kind of fool people a little bit, to offer up dreams and hopes in and, and give you a reality um, away from your normal humdrum life. Um, but she seemed to have. Um, been as real as you can get being a pop star with that. Um, she seemed to kind of live the lifestyles that she was um, when the music kind of hit her, when that muse hit her. And certainly she's gone through not only um, her own tragedy with the breast cancer, but, um, you know, her her the daughter of, of one of her best friends passed away from cancer, and she did a lot of advocacy work for that. So she was somebody who... who held the mantle brightly of having, uh, you know, having that ability to speak out on various causes and issues. And I think that that's why we, I I totally agree. That's why I think we all feel very sad and and very touched by, by her life is because I think that, you know, we would all love to have, um, you know, lived a long fulfilling life like she had, but also, 
you know, being able to to put the spotlight on others and put the spotlight on on good things that are happening uh, in this world despite tragedy. It's the whole thing of carrying on at your lowest ebb. You know, she was absolutely symbolic of that. One of the things I found interesting too about her was that, um, you know, from the very plateau, if we want to call, it, I mean. If we look back now, Greece would have to be the plateau, would have to be the highlight, I would say, of, of, of her popularity and career to some extent. But, you know, if physical were the, were the, were the pinnacle uh, with all those weeks at number one, it seemed to dissipate pretty quickly for her after that. First of all, music changed a lot, right, between the time she made physical and then she made Twist to Fate. She made some um, two of a kind. She made some bad movie decisions yeah. over the years. And and then all of a sudden Madonna came along and Cindy Lauper and Whitney Houston and things had kind of, you know, everything sort of changed. And I guess the time had passed, but she never struck me as being someone who looked like she, she regretted that all that much, or she wasn't so, she certainly wasn't bitter about it. No. Um, I, and, you know, at the time, I mean, if you were a woman, you might have not regretted any moment spending with somebody like John Travolta over the course of, of several movies and several years together, um, you know, at least on screen. But um, but, but I, I, I think you're so right when it comes to to the movement of pop music around that time where um, it seemed like in an instant when MTV first began and slowly set into 1983-84, that was the wave of British artists like Eurythmics and Boy George and Culture Club and Duran Duran and Tears for Fears. And it seemed like Olivia Newton-John songs were, were quaint. It seemed like it was just a faraway place of, of make-believe when these fashion-conscious people were making better videos, writing better songs within their own group rather than getting a songwriter to do that for them. Um, and uh, And things got looking old very quickly, um, especially when in the 80s or in the mid-80s, a movie like Grease wasn't really looked upon as, as cool anymore. That was our parents. You know, that was that was a, a, an, an eon in an era ago. And it took something like the 90s and the nostalgia period to bring all that music back again. Yeah, no, I mean, it, when in the 80s, you would you would not, I mean, not always, lots of people still love the Grease soundtrack, but, you know, no one, not the whole room cheered when Summer Love came on yet again. Yeah, you, you was... would never admit it. But the same thing for Saturday Night Fever. Yes. I mean, you know, there was a period in the 80s where, you know, disco brought new wave music easily into the room. It allowed, um, you know, dancing in four by four beats and, and people who couldn't dance started to dance all over again to disco music. But this was cooler. It, it had a little bit of a punk edge to it. It was more street valued. Um, and so even though Saturday Night Fever never really left those late night television um, spots whenever, whenever they decided to air it on the local channels, um, it, it, took almost 10, 15 years for the Bee Gees to become cool again. Um, it certainly took, um, you know, a looking back on it uh, on that period and say, well, you know, it, it wasn't really all that bad. But, um, you know, we have social media sites now with, like TikTok where 12 and 13-year-olds um, and, and even younger are posting videos right now about Olivia Newton-John. And I wouldn't be surprised if you start to see Hopelessly Devoted to You or Physical back on the Billboard Hot 100 like we've seen with Kate Bush and Metallica. Um, yeah. You know, could those songs, those songs still hold up. They're brilliant yeah. songs, especially with Hopelessly Devoted to You, a song that 
uh, like she had in her contract in Greece that she had one solo song to do. That was a must. And about halfway through the, the making of the movie, they still didn't have the song written for her. And um, John Parr, her, her kind of musical director, finally wrote it. The producers begrudgingly told her, yeah, if you want the song, you can sing the song. They filmed the song and they recorded the song after Grease came out. And it was a huge movie, like after it was finished. And it became, you know, her single, one of the biggest songs of the last 25 years at the time. So um, good songs are good songs. They'll always find a place in people's hearts. Eric Alpers, our guest this half hour, publicist and music commentator. We're talking about uh, the career, the life of Olivia Newton-John. We'll continue with that after this. Eric Alpers, our guest this half hour, publicist and music commentator. We're talking about the life and career of Olivia Newton-John. Of course, he passed away at the age of 73 today. One of her many big hits, hopelessly devoted to you. It's funny, Eric, when you look back at that era, how little she's talked about outside of, say, Greece, in terms of what a big hit star she was, or did she have a great voice, or did she have a lot of great hits? She's not often mentioned in the same breath as any of those other sort of the Linda Ronstads and the so on from the 70s who did so well. Yeah, and, and it's a shame because, you know, when she can go and have a career, at least in her first seven or eight years, of an Australian country singer to uh, a pretty bold and vibrant and, and brazen 80s black leather new wave diva in, in just that short period of time. Um, it's easy to see why she could do it all and how she could do it all. She could do ballads like Hopelessly Devoted to You. She could do country like Let Me Be There. She can do 50s music like Grease. She can do disco show tunes like um, that she did in Xanadu with Gene Kelly, of all people, who must have been like 140 years old at the time of that he did that movie. Um, and, and it's a real shame because I think that she was undervalued and, and underappreciated um, with the different styles of music um, that she can do, especially when we talk about the the blending of somebody like Taylor Swift and the remarkability and the genius um that she has able to do it and make no mistake. Taylor Swift is absolutely one of those legendary artists, even at, at her young age. Um, the fact that, that it seemed like it was almost an impossible achievement that anybody can go from country music to pop in three albums. She was kind of doing that legitimately and authentically within a song. And uh, and I agree with you. I, I think that it's kind of a little bit underappreciated um, in the same kind of way that maybe Karen Carpenter was a little right. bit underappreciated in The Carpenter, not just for her drumming skills, but just her smooth voice and her just effortless that she can sing, um, that we were just so entranced with watching her. Yeah. I mean, I, I think Xanadu didn't help. I think some of those, I don't think two of a kind helped. There were some decisions made, I think, in a certain point where, you know, but but when you look back now, of course, she made some of the, the most uh, iconic songs of that era between, you know, 77 and 83. They're, those are so the songs that you, I, I was playing some of them on YouTube. Do you remember them instantly when you hear the first two bars of Magic? You remember Magic or Make a Move on Me or Physical specifically, but all those songs as Anna do, um, you know, even the ones like Cliff Richard and the duets, like I remember all of those because <laughs> they were everywhere. They were everywhere. They were, they were everywhere. And even though that Xanadu was just a box office bomb and, and, it, and it flopped, I remember 
as a kid not seeing the movie precisely because Mad Magazine would parry it to no to no end. And if Alfred E. Newman is making fun of something, um, it's usually something that you may not want to to get a hold of. But um, I, I remember reading a quote later later on um, in in a book that Rolling Stone magazine put together of of. The, the lost kind of John Lennon interviews. And John says that he loved commercial music, especially in 1979 uh, and 1980. It was one of the reasons why he got back in the studio from being a, a so-called house husband and being right. a father um, to Sean Lennon at the, at the time, when I think Sean was about five years old, was he was listening to the B-52s on the radio, that song Rock Lobster. And yeah, he called right. out to Yoko and said, they're finally ready for us. And in the same breath, he's talking about loving the B-52s, and he's praising Olivia Newton-John singing magic and Donna Summer singing disco music. So if wow. John Lennon is proclaiming your brilliance and not even caring what movie you're in, chances are you're on the right track when it comes to the music if somebody like John Lennon is praising you. Eric Alper, always a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. We'll talk soon.